0: Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Thank you for joining us this month as we look at some very important developments in Bible prophecy that have unfolded in a dramatic way in recent times. Papal plans for the world are becoming clearer and clearer as we near the close of human probation. I am reminded that we are seeing the two sides develop and mature their positions in the great controversy as they prepare for the final conflict. Satan is organizing the whole world to follow him and he will attempt to force all of God's people to worship him through his human agents. On the other hand, God's people are preparing to defend his truth and his law. But before we begin, I want to tell you that I really appreciate the support you have provided for our Keep the Faith ministry project in Australia at Highwood Health Centre. Highwood is gradually turning the corner and your help is greatly needed. I recently spent two weeks there in training and orienting our new manager, Judy Asselford. And while it was an intensive time, I could see very clearly that God's hand is resting on Highwood. At a future time, I will share with you more on the progress there. But for now, I will tell you that we are seeing wonderful results from the health program. What a mission field we have in Melbourne. But it doesn't stop there. Highwood Health Center is able to service all of Australia, New Zealand, and the rest of Oceania. So thank you for partnering with Keep the Faith Ministry. Please keep that important work in your prayers. And one more thing, Keep the Faith is now on Facebook and Twitter. Imagine that. Please go there and follow us and then tell your online friends. We post links for our prophetic intelligence briefings, sermons, events, and other important information so that you and your friends can be informed on the latest developments in Bible prophecy as they are posted. Our Facebook page has lots of stuff on it, and our Twitter feed will give you the links to our latest postings. I hope you'll enjoy our social media. We hope that young people will find our site, and gain a blessing and turn their lives over to Christ and prepare for His coming through these avenues. Rapid events in the world tell us that Jesus is coming very soon. And before He comes, there will be an overwhelming deception and an overwhelming surprise that will sweep millions of souls into eternal destruction. Satan knows that the end game is on now. But before we go any further, we must bow our heads and ask God's blessing as we study. Our loving Heavenly Father, it is with gratitude that we bow before you today. It is a great privilege to be a child of the King of the Universe. But we are not in our home. We are in a land of strangers. We are in a world of chaos and rebellion. We long to be in our heavenly home with Jesus. We hunger for more of heavenly things. We hope in the promises of God, and we recognize that you have an eternal destiny for those who are faithful to Jesus. So send your Holy Spirit to us today to teach us concerning the signs of the times. But most of all, teach us that the time is short and that we must prepare for the final conflict. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our beginning scripture text for today is from Revelation 18, verse 23. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. This verse tells us that that there is a great deception coming upon the world. It is a deception that is cultivated by the great men of the earth, or the merchants of the earth. You have to be very careful about these powerful men. They are trying to deceive you. Do you think that there's a lot of deception in the world today by the great men of the earth? Of course you do. They are concealing their real purposes and plans. They inflict pain and they make slaves out of the souls of men. Now let me read a passage from the book Testimonies for the Church, volume 9, page 135. The end is near, stealing upon us stealthily, imperceptibly, like the noiseless approach of a thief in the night. May the Lord grant that we shall no longer sleep as do others, but that we shall watch and be sober. The truth is soon to triumph gloriously, and all who now choose to be laborers together with God will triumph with it. The time is short. The night soon cometh when no man can work. Let those who are rejoicing in the light of present truth now make haste to impart the truth to others. The Lord is inquiring, Whom shall I send? And those who wish to sacrifice for the truth's sake are now to respond, Here am I, Lord, send me. Isn't that a tremendous statement? Don't you want to be part of the truth triumphant? I do. It won't be long now until the night cometh and we can no longer work for Jesus. It places our times right in the crucible of the last days. We are living in grand and awful times. We need to follow God's counsel. We need to follow the truth as it is in the Bible. We have work to do, and we we must hasten to do it. That's why I cannot hold myself back. That's why I go from place to place to help God's people wake up to the times in which we live. Your soul and mine is at stake, brothers and sisters. Don't delay the preparation. Give your heart to Jesus right now. You can surrender and follow His will. It doesn't take a pilgrimage. It doesn't take a genuflection. It doesn't take a rosary. It only takes repentance and to fall on your knees and beg for God's forgiveness for your sins. Ask Jesus to come into your heart and give you His love. Then rise up, turn your back on the devil, and sin no more. Great movements are taking place today, and I would like to elaborate on some scriptures in Revelation 18. I want you to notice verse 9. This is speaking about a future time when spiritual Babylon will be punished for her iniquities. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. That is what they are doing now when they march themselves over to the Holy See to visit the Pope whenever they get a chance to have an audience with him. Verse 11 tells us that the merchants of the earth who manage the economy of the world are involved in the great movements taking place too. The Bible tells us who these merchants are. As we study here a little and there a little, we can put it all together. Verse 23 says, For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. Now, who are the great men of the earth? These are the men who control and manipulate economies and nations. These are the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, and other elites, and bankers, the Bilderberg Group, the Trilateral Commission, the Council on Foreign Relations, both in the United States and Europe, and the list of the great men of the earth goes on and on and on. And they're working together. By the way, did you know that there is a European Council on Foreign Relations now? Well, it's true. Since 2007, when the European Council on Foreign Relations, or the ECFR, was established, it has been developing its relationships within Europe to promote its global objectives. It is similar to the U.S.-based Council on Foreign Relations, though adapted to the circumstances and perspective of Europeans. At some point, I hope we can study a little more about this counsel. Listen to this statement from the pen of God's messenger. It's from Maranatha, page 182. The work of the people of God is to prepare for the events of the future, which will soon come upon them with blinding force. Did you hear that? This is speaking about you and me. There is a crisis that is coming upon us with blinding force but it will most likely be precipitated by a huge global crisis that will cause great fear in the hearts of men. I'll read on. In the world, gigantic monopolies will be formed. Men will bind themselves together in unions that will wrap them in the folds of the enemy. A few men will combine to grasp all the means to be obtained in certain lines of business. Trade unions will be formed, and those who refuse to join these unions will be marked men. Doesn't that sound like our times? Did you notice the link between the consolidation of resources, the centralization of power, and the blinding crisis that is coming upon God's people? In other words, there is a strong link between the centralization of the economies of the world, the global banking and business interests, and the horrific Sunday law crisis that will break upon God's people. What this is saying is that all the efforts of the central bankers, or the merchants of the earth, and the rulers of the world to take control of the economy are leading us to the final crisis. They have one goal in mind, to become richer and more powerful. But Satan and the Vatican have another goal in mind, To bring religious globalism to fruition and to enforce false worship upon the whole world just like Nimrod. Of course, that doesn't mean that everyone will agree with Rome in their hearts, but they will go along with Rome because it is expedient. Notice Revelation 13, verses 16 and 17, And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand, or In their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. The vast majority of people will go along with Satan's global religious power because they cannot buy or sell unless they do. They will panic because they're clueless about how to survive without that. They will think that they cannot live. But notice that the mark is either in the forehead or in the hand. In other words, there are two ways to align yourself with Satan and with his global earthly power in the last days. You can either join him in your mind, which means that you will follow him with your actions too, or you can merely obey him by your actions. There will be plenty of people who don't believe what the Roman church tells them, but they will not resist her power. They will go along with her demands even though they don't believe her. That is all the devil cares about. He just wants you to obey him, even if it isn't with your heart. Those who receive the seal of God, on the other hand, will only have it in their foreheads, meaning that they will both believe and practice the faith of Jesus by obedience to all his instructions. Listen to this verse from Ezekiel 9. It's speaking of the sealing of God's people in the last days. And the Lord said unto the man in white linen... Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that cry and sigh for the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. This is speaking of God's church, not the world. In other words, in the last days there will be a seal that is put on the foreheads of those who earnestly cry and sigh over the abominations that are done in the church. These are the ones who plead with God for righteousness. These are the ones who hate sin with all their hearts and are deeply grieved by what they see going on in God's church. Notice, too, that the seal is given in their foreheads only and not in their hands. This is very important because the seal of God is in your heart and in your mind. You will fulfill God's law with your actions because your mind is in love with Christ and with His law. But there are many in the church today who are merely living an outward religion, not an inward one. They look good, they come to church every week, they sing the hymns, but these are only outward actions. They do not with their hearts love God supremely. They live a double life. They live a life of worldliness, but have a veneer of righteousness. These will be destroyed by the judgments of God. It is those who have the seal of God, which can only be placed in their foreheads, who will escape the punishment that is coming upon the wicked. Ezekiel is speaking of the separation between those that serve God and those who pretend to serve God. Notice that the seal or the mark is placed on those who sigh and cry for the abominations that are done among God's people. Are you in agony, my friends, over the sins and corruptions in the church? Could it really be true? Are there sins so heinous and so serious in God's church today that will cause the angel with a destroying weapon to come upon them in judgment? Seriously, how much do you agonize with God over the sins in God's church? How deeply do you grieve by what you see? I dare say that most of us do not really agonize as we would if we were not at least secretly in harmony with much of what is going on. We may pine a little about the things we don't like. But do we really have a burden for souls of those in the church who are lost and who are leading others to damnation as well with false teachings, strange fire such as spiritual formation, sports, entertainment, and even pornography and licentiousness? How many of us are really burdened over the Sabbath breaking that goes on? I dare say that we may shake our heads, but we really don't grieve so that we sigh and cry in agony before God and plead with our fellow church members to turn from their wicked ways and live for Christ. Let us come back now to our thoughts on the conditions of the world. With so many banks on shaky ground, and many of them being consolidated into larger banks, with huge companies buying out other huge companies the central bankers of the world consolidating their global finances under a new global organization under the control of a network of men who are working together to accomplish it, don't you think that we are nearing the time when the religious crisis will break with overwhelming and blinding force? What was predicted is happening in the global economy and in the global business world just before the close of time is happening right before our eyes. Also, did you notice that the trade unions will have something to do with the final issues at the end of time? Perhaps you were paying attention during the Occupy Wall Street protests that were going on around the world. The trade unions openly joined with them and supported them. You could even see signs identifying many of the protesters as part of the various trade unions. Trade unions were fueling the unrest. Also, did you notice that the Catholic Church lent its endorsement to the Occupy movement? Listen to this. A senior Vatican official, Cardinal Turkson, has said the Occupy Wall Street protests are justified, as the Holy See has called for overhauling global financial rules and establishing an international market regulator. That's from the Sydney Morning Herald. Even though the Vatican was careful to say that its document released by the Pontifical Council for Justice and Peace, calling for a global financial and economic authority, was not a response to the Occupy Wall Street movement. The movement in reality is promoting the same things. Vatican timing in releasing its document nevertheless lends support for the effort. I wonder why that was... Don't you think there is a prophetic connection between them all? Of course there is. But how the Vatican gains more power is by stealth and silence. Listen to this passage from Great Controversy, page 581. God's word has given warning of the impending danger. Let this be unheeded, and the Protestant world will learn what the purposes of Rome really are. Only when it is too late to escape the snare. She is silently growing into power. Her doctrines are exerting their influence in legislative halls, in the churches, and in the hearts of men. She is piling up her lofty and massive structures in the secret recesses of which her former persecutions will be repeated. Stealthily and unsuspectedly, she is strengthening her forces to further her own ends when the time shall come for her to strike. All that she desires is vantage ground, And this is already being given her. We shall soon see and shall feel what the purpose of the Roman element is. Whoever shall believe and obey the word of God will thereby incur reproach and persecution. Today I want to show you some of the ways in which Rome is stealthily regaining her power. It involves the great men of the earth, and it involves some very specific things that Rome is using to manipulate the economy. It is sometimes hard to show how this is being done, but occasionally there are some obvious developments that reveal Rome's hidden hand. First, let us think about a man that we have described before. His name is Herman van Rompuy, and he is the President of the European Council, or one of the key political organizations of the European Union. He is, in essence, the President of Europe. He is a Bilderberger, or a member of a secret cabal that is working to resurrect the ancient Roman Catholic order of Europe. Just before the European Council's unanimous election of Rompuy as their president, he gave a speech at a Bilderberger dinner in which he outlined his vision for how Europe should be governed. He's working very hard to bring about the resurrection of the Holy Roman Empire under the moral authority of the Vatican. Here's what the Jesuit America magazine said about Herman Van Rompuy. He was educated by Jesuits in Brussels, went on to the Catholic University of Louvain in Belgium, and in the 1980s wrote a book about Christendom as a modern idea. He is, in short, a bearer of the torch first lit by the Catholic architects of European unity, de Gasperi, Schumann, Adenauer, who, like Van Rompuy, were all Christian Democrats for whom faith and Europe went together. In other words, Herman van Rompuy, a Belgian Christian Democrat, is a strong Roman Catholic with a Jesuit education and a Catholic vision for Europe. Because of his Jesuit training, he is now very friendly with the Jesuits and believes wholeheartedly in European integration, and is certainly very committed to a united Europe in the Roman Catholic tradition as opposed to secular tradition. He even wrote a book about Christendom, which literally means the Kingdom of Christ on Earth, a Catholic idea of mixing church and state. Rompuy was advocating this as an idea that should be adopted by modern societies, in particular in Europe. And this is the head of the political side of Europe. Yes, there are other important political organizations in Europe, but they are less influential and less powerful than the European Council, over which Rompuy is the president. Recently, after a very important summit meeting over the economic crisis, Herman Van Rompuy must have felt in need of counsel from a higher power. So he flew to Rome to meet with Benedict the Sixteenth. The Pope is so important to Europe's future, in Rompuy's mind, that he felt it would be necessary to discuss the European economic situation with the Pontiff. We live in a period of crisis. Europe has huge problems, the Pope said. After meeting with the Pope, Rompuy met with the Vatican Secretary of State, Cardinal Tarsicio Bertoni, who was accompanied, as usual, by the Secretary for Relations with States, Monsignor Dominic Memberti. A Vatican communique said that there was a useful exchange of opinion on the international situation and on the contribution that the Catholic Church wishes to offer the European Union. And what would be that contribution? The Vatican's contribution would be nothing less than to resurrect her rulership over Europe. The Vatican wants to restore her traditional role in Europe of guiding the nations and setting up rulers and removing them. And what is a useful exchange of opinion? Well, no doubt that would be that the Vatican took the opportunity to give Rompuy some counsel concerning how to navigate the crisis as well as the politics of Europe and reinforce the papal agenda for a united Europe under Roman Catholic principles. The president of the council also spoke at the Pontifical Gregorian University and the community of St. Egidio two well-known Roman Catholic organizations. He stressed that the European Union is based on sharing in love and commitment to a shared destiny. Later, at the Community of St. Egidio, the president said, "...the European institutions defend the lives of citizens. They are not an intrusion, and even at this time of global crisis, no EU country will be left alone, because Europe is the common house." Rompuy appears to have only visited Roman Catholic institutions while in Rome. Reaffirming his commitment to an integrated Europe in these Catholic institutions no doubt reassured Roman Catholic leaders that he would do everything he can to keep the European Union together and on track to reestablish the Holy Roman Empire. Now we come to a new individual whom we need to understand. Have you heard of a man named Mario Draghi? Mario Draghi is a very important merchant of the earth. He was born, raised, and trained in Rome, and eventually he became the governor of the Bank of Italy, Banca d'Italia, or Italy's central bank, where he served for almost six years. This bank is part of a network of central banks throughout Europe tied together by the European Central Bank, or the ECB. These banks work together to manipulate the economies of Europe so that the common currency, the euro, is stable. Right now, the euro isn't very stable, is it? In fact, it's in big trouble. Mario Draghi was also previously the Director General of the Italian Treasury for 10 years from 1991 to 2001. This is the man who controls the purse strings of the whole nation of Italy think about this a little. There's hardly a more scandal-ridden government in the Western world than Italy, and over its treasury was Mario Draghi. This man was at the top of it all. This fellow holds a lot of deep, dark secrets, and no doubt he is very aware, if not a participant, in some of the wicked scandals that go on in Italy. Mario Draghi was also a board member of several banks and corporations, but more importantly, he was the vice chairman and managing director of Goldman Sachs, the famous global investment company which is tied to the Vatican. He was also the Italian executive director of the World Bank, where he was closely associated with its president, Robert Zoellick, an American, who is also significantly an executive of Goldman Sachs. What this is telling us is that these men and these institutions are not only working together, they are intertwined and interlinked. Keep in mind that the World Bank, the Vatican, and Goldman Sachs are all working to control the economy of the world under globalist principles. Mario Draghi's connection to them would also contain a lot of financial secrets and certainly some shameful outrages. Goldman Sachs, for instance, has been involved in numerous global financial scandals and fraud. One of the scandals involved credit default swaps, which are complicated financial instruments. Goldman Sachs was buying and selling these default swaps for European governments in an effort to disguise the rapidly deteriorating Greek financial and economic situation. Goldman Sachs was in league with others, and perhaps even with the Vatican, in attempting to hide the true condition of Greek finances. The result was that many people have been hurt by this. So who is Mario Draghi? We know that he is one of the top global financiers, and this makes him one of the merchants of the earth that we find mentioned in Scripture. Men like Mario Draghi often hide behind closed doors and operate in private boardrooms. The fact that Mario Draghi was recently appointed to succeed Jean-Claude Trichet as head of the European Central Bank, however, is telling. Here is a man who rises to this important and central position at a most crucial time in the economic history of the world, a time of crisis for the global economy and especially for Europe's economy. Keep in mind that crises are opportunities for global leaders to bring the finances of the world under their own control, and it is also a very good opportunity for global political leaders to strengthen themselves for the coming struggle. Behind it all is the mostly unseen hand of Rome, working through these very leaders and institutions which, according to the Bible, are leading all nations to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication while the kings of the earth are committing fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxing rich through the abundance of her delicacies. That's Revelation 18, verse 3. But a crisis is also a very ideal time for that secret hand to also gain strong advantages and prepare herself for the greatest struggle this earth has ever known, the final struggle between Christ and Satan for the loyalty of the hearts of men. But the European Central Bank is at the center of the debt crisis that has enveloped European countries including Greece, Italy, Spain, Portugal, and Ireland, and which spread to other nations, even strong ones like France, and it now even threatens to wreak havoc on the entire global economy. But the ECB is also the very bank that orchestrated the crisis itself by offering Greece and other nations low-interest loans in order to make their economies expand. Now the European Central Bank is in the position to control the outcome under the leadership of Germany. Mario Draghi is now the most powerful economist in Europe and has huge influence on the rest of the world as well, truly. He is one of the great men of the earth. The prophet Isaiah wrote in chapter 23, verse 8, Who hath taken this counsel against Tyre, the crowning city, whose merchants are princes, whose traffickers are the honorable of the earth? This is talking about ancient Tyre, or an Old Testament type of spiritual Babylon, today's Vatican. Notice that its merchants are princes, These are the ones working behind the scenes to manipulate world affairs. These honorable of the earth are in league with the Vatican to bring about her objectives as they build their own power and influence. These honorable of the earth are not honorable in heaven. They are working against heaven. They are trying to build their own global empire in rebellion to the principles of heaven, just like Nimrod. Notice what the Lord is going to do to them. It is in the next verse of Isaiah 23. Verse 9 says, The Lord of hosts hath purposed it to stain the pride of all glory and to bring into contempt all the honorable of the earth. So, in other words, God plans to let them get away with it for a while, but then they will be hated globally. He allows them to get power and money and control. In fact, He is even allowing these great men of the earth, these princes, to organize the final attempt at universal globalism for one incredible and fantastic purpose. He is allowing these merchants of the earth to gain all that power to manipulate the whole world and all the business, finance, and economics— He allows them to monopolize. He permits them to build overwhelming global power. He is at last going to give them the freedom to form a global political, economic, and religious confederacy to finally assault and destroy those who keep all of God's commandments. All at enormous expense and all in the name of peace and safety— just so that he can show them how weak and how powerless they really are. God has purposed their rise to glory and power in order to stain their pride and bring them down. Oh, I love it, don't you? God is such a powerful God, and he's not swayed by these things. He's not concerned about them. He's concerned about you and me. He's concerned about how we're going to live in those times. The Vatican's in the middle of it all. We're told that they are working together in Revelation 18, verse 15. These merchants were made rich by her. They are in league with the papacy, and just when they are ready to pounce on God's people because of their loyalty to King Jesus and His law, God says that He is going to humble them. He's going to stain their pride. All their glory is going to be brought down to the dust. They will weep and howl, They will mourn because no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. Revelation 18.11 Right now they may be famous. They may have their names associated with the great institutions of the world, such as the World Bank and Goldman Sachs, or the European Central Bank, or the Bank of Italy, or the U.S. Federal Reserve. But they are all going to come down. They are all going to be crushed and humbled. They will see their expensive plans come to nothing. They will see that their ornate system of global government, global economy, and global religion will come to nothing. They will see the people of God rise up out of their distress, which they have caused, and become strong, terrible like an army with banners. Song of Solomon 6, verse 10 says... Who is she that looketh forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners? That, my friends, is a description of God's church filled with the Holy Ghost. Here is the church that overcomes by the blood of the Lamb. Here are the people who, though recently distressed beyond measure, now take their place, and the wicked merchants of the earth cower and howl in their own distress when Rome is punished. You see, my friends, God allows these men to have their control and their influence for a while. He lets them build up their empires and their kingdoms, but that is only so that he can bring them down, mightily and with a great crushing weight, like the stone that Nebuchadnezzar saw in vision that crushed the great image. Friends, don't you want to be part of that faithful church? I do. God's call to you, my friend, is to faithfully follow all that he tells you to do. You cannot neglect one point, and he guarantees that you will be part of that church. Now let us go back to Mario Draghi. It is important to understand the kind of man that Mario Draghi is, and the kind of training he has had. As a teenager, he became an orphan. He went to live with an aunt for a while, but then at some point this young Catholic boy was taken into the tutelage of a very important and powerful group of men. The Financial Times, which is a credible newspaper that is focused on economic events, and which is read by passengers flying first class and business class on international airlines, made some comments about Mario Draghi. The Financial Times said his rigorous education at Rome's Jesuit school instilled a cautious approach to the world. Which Jesuit school trained Mario Draghi? Well, its current name is Massimilano Massimo Institute, which is named after one of its rectors, and it was established by Ignatius Loyola himself in 1551. It is otherwise known as the Roman College, and serves secondary students. This was the very school where the document Ratio Studiorum was finalized and published in 1599. Ratio Studiorum, or the Official Plan of the Jesuit Education, describes the core methods of Jesuit education that are still used in Jesuit schools. One of the well-known Jesuit objectives is to control the education of young people. They know that the younger they get them and control their training, the more effective and long-lasting that training will be. Moreover, they know that if they gain control of the young people, they can use them later to accomplish their purposes when they achieve high positions in government or finance. The Financial Times also said, Mr. Draghi is disciplined and sometimes enigmatic. Useful Attributes in a Central Banker Enigmatic is a very good vocabulary word. It means mysterious, perplexing, puzzling, and ambiguous. Isn't that what you would expect from a Jesuit-trained Central Banker? Writing before Draghi became the head of the ECB, the Financial Times went on to say that recently he has kept a low profile, taking care not to undermine the authority of Jean-Claude Trichet, the incumbent ECB president, with any hints of dissent. Those familiar with his thinking report that his career has taught him the virtues of pragmatism. Oh, there's another big vocabulary word that needs to be understood. The common meaning of the word is practical, but there's a larger and more ancient usage of this word which means a meddlesome or interfering person. It also suggests that a person with this quality knows how to manipulate the outcome through negotiation, compromise, and even deceit. Central bankers, my friends, are always meddling or interfering in the economy in various ways, and the central bankers also know how to manipulate the outcome. Self-disciplined, enigmatic, and pragmatic are qualities that the Jesuits have mastered. And Mario Draghi likely learned these under his Jesuit masters at the Roman College. So, Mario Draghi is a Roman Catholic dedicated to a Roman Catholic Europe, or the resurrection of the Holy Roman Empire. He is a man who is intimately familiar with the ways of the elitists and globalists who manipulate the economy of the world, because he is one of them. He is now in a position to manipulate the finances of Europe to favor Rome's agenda. The Bible says that the merchants of the earth are in league with Rome to make themselves rich, and to make the Vatican powerful. The more such people that Rome has in power, the more effective she will be in gaining control of the whole world. Well, governor of the Bank of Italy... Mario Draghi is known to have said that central banks must take the lead in restoring order. What this means is that through interest rate manipulation, among other things, the central banks will become the solution to the problems they are actually responsible for creating by lax monetary policy. This is a classic Jesuit tactic. Draghi went on to say, Central banks would have to consider enlarging their role in defending financial stability with better regulation, and even the use of interest rates to cool overheating markets. Did you hear that about better regulation? That means more control. Describing it as a baptism by fire, which is a religious term, one journalist for the UK Guardian wrote that the first thing Mario Draghi did was to reverse the interest rate increases of his predecessor Jean-Claude Trichet. During his first two meetings, he lowered interest rates. He did not oppose Trichet's moves to increase them, but waited until he was appointed and then reversed the trend. Now that's pragmatic. Trichet was trying to strengthen Europe's currency and economy, but Draghi is doing what most central bankers do during a crisis. They lower certain interbank loans by a quarter of a percent or half a percent. This, ultimately, has a huge effect on the economy, but it debases the currency and makes people poorer, removing the middle class gradually out of society. Oh yes, there's one more very intriguing post that Mario Draghi held. Above all the central banks of the world, there is a coordinating bank known as the Bank for International Settlements based in Basel, Switzerland. This bank was established in 1930 by several European central banks and a couple of private interests. During World War II, the Bank for International Settlements was very friendly to the Nazis, who used it for their own purposes. For instance, the vice-president of the Nazi Reichsbank was also the president of the Bank for International Settlements. One of the things it did was to confiscate the gold of the Austrian government after the Anschluss in 1938, and hand it over to the Nazis. Now the Bank for International Settlements has global purposes. Mario Draghi was a member of its board. What all this is telling us is that this relatively unknown banker is actually one of the key players in global finance and has been for a long time. He's well acquainted with the activities of the central banks of the world and with the Vatican Bank. He understands the principles of global financial manipulation. It is no accident that Mario Draghi is now the head of the European Central Bank. As a Roman Catholic dedicated to the idea of a Catholic Europe, Draghi will certainly cooperate with his Jesuit handlers. The recent Vatican appeal for a radical reform of the global economic system and to create a global economic authority to manage it, is nothing short of a frightening call to end global economic freedom. This global central bank would manipulate the global economy just like national or regional central banks manipulate national and regional economies. It would even have the power to tax international financial activity, according to the plan laid out in the document. Pure and simple, it is a socialist plan that reveals the true agenda of the Vatican to control the world. The statement, published by the Pontifical Council for Justice and Peace, is in harmony with Benedict XVI's 2009 economic encyclical Caritas Veritatis, that denounced a profit-at-all-cost mentality as the cause of the financial crisis. In other words, the Pope and the Vatican are using the crisis to promote their global plans. This is predicted in Bible prophecy. Revelation 18 tells us that the economies of the world are linked to the Vatican. That's in verse 11 and 15, which is working toward a global religion revealed in Revelation 13, verse 8. Economic sanctions will be imposed on those who don't participate in the global religion. That's verse 17 of Revelation 13. There is only one religious power that is in the position to achieve that kind of following and fulfill that prophecy. The Vatican, or the Holy See, which is both a church and a nation-state, and which has political and financial influence at a scale that can sway global, political, and economic regimes, is the only possible entity to establish and get the nations to enforce a global religion. Vatican pronouncements on the economy are meant to guide world leaders as well as the global church, wrote Fox News. The Vatican makes such statements in order to influence policymakers and legislators at an international level. While the statements often sound very good to the untrained ear, they signal specific policy suggestions in light of contemporary issues going on in the world. And world leaders listen. For instance, when the Vatican or Catholic bishops talk about ending poverty, they are referring to wealth redistribution from the rich to the poor, a socialist concept which is designed to destroy the middle class. To those who don't understand what is behind these statements, they appear pious and well-meaning, making the church look quite good in the public eye. However, the Vatican isn't redistributing much of its own enormous wealth to the poor, even though she is one of those nation-states and should set the example on how to work for the common good. Though her statements are hollow and hypocritical, the papacy nevertheless uses her presumed piety to influence the nations in her own interests. The plan discussed in the Vatican document, while couched in terms of a voluntary change for greater world good, would actually require that nations surrender their sovereignty to yet another new world body endowed with the authority to tax and manage all movement of capital between countries. This would remove economic freedom in the name of creating it, at least for poor nations. Of course, the Vatican document said, This transformation will be made at the cost of a gradual, balanced transfer of a part of each nation's powers to a world authority and to regional authorities, but this is necessary at a time when the dynamism of human society and the economy and the progress of technology are transcending borders, which are in fact already very eroded in a globalized world. The trouble is that poor nations can receive all the aid that rich nations want to bestow on them, but it does not help them become richer, nor does it even out the wealth. Corruption, intractable crime, and other problems that plague developing nations remove the advantage that aid is supposed to provide. The aid is rendered almost ineffective. The document suggested that the world authority could begin at the United Nations, The Vatican views the United Nations as an organization that she can manage in her own interests, or she would not have made such a suggestion. The UN, however, is woefully inept at managing anything of a global nature. The Vatican is not disconnected from reality, so the only real conclusion is that she is in league with these powers to promote her own agenda. These are some of the great men of the earth, too. If the United Nations Commission on Human Rights is any indication, wrote Newsmax, implementing the Vatican Statement would achieve exactly the opposite of the desired result. Far from creating a more just world, economic order, and empowering the powerless, said the magazine, a supranational financial regulatory scheme run by the UN, would deprive billions of people across the globe of their economic freedom and concentrate power in the hands of a few faceless international bureaucrats. Well, This would be much to the Vatican's liking, because she could then just concentrate on installing her own agents or supporters in those positions, and then manage these few faceless international merchants of the earth in her own interests. How does this form of social justice reconcile the necessary repression that goes with it with the spiritual freedom of Christianity? The fact is that the Roman Catholic Church is not living up to its own Christian ideals in any area. Control of society is the goal of Rome, particularly to impose its religion. Rome uses her religious pretense to gain acceptance and power, but works for enslavement of multitudes. As in the past, this latest effort to use inherently coercive secular tools to achieve the Church's social goals is a prelude to using inherently coercive secular tools to achieve the Church's religious goals. It's very interesting to watch as the Vatican spins its agenda into the public arena. The Vatican statement also attacked what they call utilitarian thinking saying, what is useful to the individual does not always favor the common good. The emphasis on the common good is again clearly a socialist perspective. Rome never changes. Every principle of the papacy that existed in past ages exists today. The doctrines devised in the darkest ages are still held. Let none deceive themselves. The papacy That Protestants are now so ready to honor is the same that ruled the world in the days of the Reformation, when men of God stood up at the peril of their lives to expose her iniquity. She possesses the same pride and arrogant assumption that lorded it over kings and princes and claimed the prerogatives of God. Her spirit is no less cruel and despotic now than when she crushed out human liberty and slew the saints of the Most High. That's Great Controversy, page 571. When the reasoning of philosophy has banished the fear of God's judgments, when religious teachers are pointing forward to long ages of peace and prosperity, and the world are absorbed in their rounds of business and pleasure, planting and building, feasting and merrymaking, rejecting God's warnings and mocking His messengers, then it is that sudden destruction cometh upon them, and they shall not escape. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3, and that's from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 103. Friends, we live in a time of great, stealthy movements. The papacy is working diligently, silently, imperceptibly to bring the very events to pass that the Bible has told us would happen. She gets her agents or friends into high positions, and they accomplish her purposes. They make her more powerful, stealthily, imperceptibly, silently, she strengthens herself through their help. Are you preparing for the surprise? Are you placing your all on the altar of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Does Jesus have your complete attention? Or are you still playing around with those worldly things that you know God has forbidden? Friends, with the things going on in the world as they are, we can see that we don't have much time. Get yourself and your family under the shadow of the Almighty, for the merchants of the earth and the kings of the earth and the great men of the earth are in league with the papacy to bring you under their control and the control of Satan. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, it is imperative that your people are ready for the coming crisis. Now more than ever, we need your power to come into our lives, to overcome Satan's temptations. Give us your Holy Spirit so that we may see and respond to the voice of Jesus calling us into a new and deeper walk and relationship. Awaken our insensitive and calloused hearts and bring us into alignment with heaven. The end is near and we need Jesus now more than ever to prepare our hearts and to seal them. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope that you have been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support for Keep the Faith Ministry. The music you have just heard is called Oh, For a Closer Walk with God, sung by Melissa Collette. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Glorious Love. This beautiful CD is available from Keep the Faith Ministry.